You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome back to Critical Mass for Business. This is not Rick Franzi. Rick's on vacation. He'll be back next week. I'm his good friend Pete Weitzner, the editor of the Orange County Business Journal, your community of business, 40 years running. And uh, Rick, of course, is the longest-running show on octalkradio.net, the brainchild of entrepreneur Paul Roberts, six years or so running Critical Mass for Business. And we're joined now by the prolific author Cheryl Einhorn. Her latest book is Problem Solved. It is geared for both the business market and for the personal market. And we welcome Cheryl uh, via telephone. And thank you for joining us, Cheryl. Thank you so much for having me. I mentioned not your first book, but why don't you even give us a little bit more background? Bring us, give us, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you started as an author. And I understand you're also a professor at Columbia University. Yes, I teach at Columbia Business School, but my background is investigative journalism, and I was an editor and a columnist at the Barrons at Barrons, the business magazine, and I sort of specialized in writing what you might call the bearish company story. So <laughs> Those are the kind of stories that take a skeptical look at a company's accounting or at their strategy. And so you um, you saw Enron and WorldCom, and you smoked them out. It, well, not Enron and WorldCom myself. I wrote about other companies. Um, but what would happen after these stories would come out is, you know, a lot of times the share prices would drop precipitously or the stock exchange would halt the stock or regulators would get involved. Sometimes there were criminal actions taken against the executives of the companies. And I started to just feel very concerned about the human toll of these kind of stories, not only the economic impact on somebody's portfolio or on their retirement account, but also, you know, the ability of people to go to work if they worked at these companies or if you happen to be a customer and you bought diabetic test kits from Polymedica and, you know, what would happen when, you know, that company got raided by the FBI and, you know, there were all sorts of troubles there. And I started to think about whether or not there was a way that I could have better confidence and conviction in my own decision-making, and could I also better understand the incentives and motives of the sources who brought me story ideas. But at the same time, there was a lot of new research just beginning to come out that basically postulated that we're all flawed thinkers. We come to the world as we are filled with assumptions, biases, and judgments based upon our past experience. And, you know, I sort of to, started to wonder, I, how could we ever really see information objectively, right? You can't look at a piece of information and say, today I'm going to be objective. So I started to think about, is there a way that I could really go all in on my mental flaws, on these ideas that I'm limited by my assumptions, biases, and judgments? And could I develop a research process, since research was my background, to help me deal with that? And so that's originally how I came up with the area method. It was an attempt to do a more ethical and holistic job as an investigative reporter of errands. Even though I'm sure you were doing honest work, you were doing, I mean, you're right, you're a columnist for Barron's covering Wall Street. You're doing all your spade work. So even though and your stories were vetted. You you had honest stories. You one would think an investigative journalist would um, 
there's a lot of people you're helping with these stories as well, right? Well, I mean, definitely you're helping people by ferreting out the truth and by making situations more transparent. But I still felt uneasy in part by the toll of these types of stories. And, you know, I think that I think that actually was really nicely human for me because if I only felt happy that, you know, these stories were having a big impact, I don't I think I'd be missing a compassion or an empathy piece. So you start you you leave you leave Barron's, you leave day to day journalism? No, I've never left it. I actually just filed a story yesterday for the Council on Foreign Relations. This month I wrote for Fortune, for Forbes, for the Stanford Social Innovation Review, and for a host of other publications, some of which many people have probably never heard of before as they've proliferated on the Internet. I generally write about international business, politics, um, and economic issues. Well, I, I think our audience um, is familiar with the with the Council on Foreign Relations and some of the others that you mentioned. Yeah. But tell me about the first uh, process where, well, just the, the process of becoming an author. Well, you know, it was an incredibly unexpected journey. I never set out to come up with a decision-making system. And then what happened after Barron's is I began teaching first at the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, where I developed a course in investigative business, economic, and financial journalism. And I started to realize that in addition to all of the interesting conversations and exercises that we might do in class, that the students really needed something that they could have in their hands and take with them. You know, nowadays we're in such a rush to judgment, technology especially, the texting and the emailing, it almost seems to demand that we become faster decision makers. But the truth is, is that we need time for thoughtful reflection. And that's really where the learning happens. And so after teaching for a couple of of years at the Graduate School of Journalism, I also began teaching at Columbia Business School. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write a textbook. I'm going to put down my area method, and that way the students will have an opportunity to take something home at night with them, and they don't have to pick it up the first time. They can think about it, and it will have examples in it. And then I started to get requests from individuals and companies, hey, I hear you have this error method, this decision-making system. Can you help us with a series of strategic decisions that we are, that we're making, whether we're a startup or a well-established company? And so I talked for several years with the textbook and really got a chance to continually get the lovely feedback that you get when you're in the classroom and dealing with a live audience. And then friends started saying, my son's going to college. I'm dealing with my aging parents. I want to switch careers. I want to reenter the workforce. And I started looking online at Amazon to just say, well, what's out there for the rest of us? You know, if you're not going to do the Harvard professor's complicated system that applies to, you know, the couple of companies where they're doing you know, large consulting projects, what is there for the rest of us? Because we all grow up to be decision makers, and yet somehow there's no well-established way to make complex decisions well. And so that's when I decided. Right. You know, my, my life has I'm often gonna... been been uh, been uh, described as a series of bad decisions. So <laughs> this applies <laughs> this applies to everyone in everything, even though you're teaching in a business school. So this AREA method, which is an acronym, AREA, common spelling, stands for? Well, it stands for the four steps of my perspective-taking process. The first A is absolute information. It's information from the target of your decision. 
Think of the R relative as the next concentric circle of information. It's sources that are somehow connected to the target of your decision. The E in area is actually two E's. I call them the twin engines of creativity. Area exploration is about getting beyond document-based sources to identify those individuals who may have information and insight about the decision you have to make. Area exploitation turns its lens inward on ourselves as decision makers to check our assumptions against our evidence. And then the final A analysis cobbles the whole system back together to help us think about solvability and whether or not there's a way to make our mistakes before we make them by using exercises like a pre-mortem and to come to conviction then on your decision. So even though, as they say, from our mistakes we gain experience, you'd rather they gain that experience without actually making the mistake. Well, look, I think that some of these exercises really can help us make our mistakes before we make them to the extent that we can, right? A lot of times we collect information we don't necessarily recognize its import. Or we think the most likely hypothesis is the hypothesis that we should go ahead with. But it turns out that if you have a lot of confirming evidence but only one insurmountable hurdle, then that most likely hypothesis isn't going to work for you. In that case, the most likely hypothesis is actually the one with the least disconfirming data. How do you suss that out? These are not naturally intuitive. And so the exploitation chapter has a whole series of exercises in it that I learned from other fields like intelligence gathering, investigative journalism, and medicine, so that you can look at your evidence against your assumptions. So your latest book, which I want to talk about in just a couple of minutes from the break, Problem Solved, but one can't help but notice that you know some high-powered people because the foreword is written by the former prime minister of Great Britain, Tony Blair. How do you come to know people like this? How did you convince him to write a foreword for your book? Actually, he offered. He offered to write the foreword, and that's because he was so excited about the book and about the area method. He said that the area method... And having a system for complex decision-making, he said it's like taking a vitamin or having one of those shots when you're a kid so that you prevent yourself from getting illnesses that you don't want to have. We all need a decision-making system before we're actually faced with a high-stakes decision because essentially there's two kinds of learning. There's knowledge and there's skill. And the nice thing about the area method is that it's a skill. I can teach it to you, and it can become yours, and you can use it however you'd like to. So I mentioned to him that I had written this book, and he asked me what it was about. And I said complex decision-making, and we both had a good laugh because he said, Cheryl, I know something about that. Why don't you <laughs> And I didn't really think much of it. And then two weeks later, he called me. He said, I love it, and I'm going to write your forward. So you are you publishing? You're publishing the old-fashioned way. You have a publisher, and you're selling your your. Or are you publishing? Uh, how are you get? Uh, you know, how do you bring this book to market? Well, you know, I wrote the book. Um, it took me about eight weeks to write. I wanted to write something that would be two hundred pages because nowadays. As I said, we're all so busy in these big, heavy tomes. We don't have time to get through them, and it's filled with um, what I call cheetah sheets. 
which I consider the graphic organizers of the area method, because the cheetah's prodigious hunting skill is not its ability to accelerate like a race car. It's actually that it can decelerate by up to nine miles an hour in a single stride. And in hunting, like in decision-making, that kind of agility and flexibility is more important than accelerating like a race car. And so wherever I have a cheetah sheet, I give you tips on where to look for information or what kind of analysis to do. And when I finished writing the book, I sent out the proposal to a couple of different places. I got a couple of different offers on it, and then I selected Career Press. And so they put out the book just a couple weeks ago. You can find it at bookstores everywhere. Of course, you can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And to read more about my book and about me, I hope you'll visit my website, which is area method, A-R-E-A method, Because this is really the first system that controls for and counteracts our cognitive biases and also allows us to better understand the incentives and motives of other people so that we can more holistically solve our problems. We're talking with author, educator, Cheryl Einhorn. Her latest book is Problem Solved. And we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more with Cheryl Einhorn. Stay with us. You're listening to octalkradio.net, the critical mass for business show. If you are an Orange Um, County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Welcome back to Critical Mass for Business. I'm Pete Weitzner, editor editor of the Orange County Business Journal, and I'm in for Rick Franzi. Rick will be back uh, next week. You're listening to the Critical Mass radio show on octalkradio.net. We're joined by author uh, Cheryl Einhorn. Her book is a Problem Solved. Cheryl, can you take us through a a real-life example, or it could be just the, the, a, a decision itself. We don't perhaps have to attach names and how you would apply the area method. Absolutely. So one thing that seniors in high school just did all around the world is they had to choose which college were they going to accept. And so um, one of the stories that I tell in my book is of young Micah, who's looking at two completely different college options. One is Johns Hopkins with no financial aid, and the other one is Pitt with some limited financial aid. And Micah has already worked in a research lab. You you couldn't get him into Columbia, huh? (laughs) He wants to be a research doctor, and he's the only child of two parents who work. So he's very fortunate. He doesn't have to choose his college purely on the economics, which for many people, the idea of having even some financial aid would be the overriding critical concept that would determine where they would go. In absolute, he identified his absolute targets. In this case, he had a binary choice. So it was Hopkins and Pitt. If it was somebody looking at growth options for their business, it might be the number of options that they have. Or if you're looking at 
living facilities for aging parents, it, it of course could be whatever that set of targets might be. And so in Area Absolute, he looked at the websites for each of these colleges. Instead of just starting where we normally start, which is just putting our query into a Google search, when that happens, we get all perspectives of information at the same time. So it really becomes difficult for us to develop our own internal compass. And so in order to identify what the universities had to say themselves, he visited each of their websites and he saw that they featured entirely different stories. Johns Hopkins talked about the number of Nobel Prizes and the august history that that university has. And if he would be going there, he'd be buying a piece of that history. When he went to Pitt's website, it had an entirely different focus. It talked about the average student-to-teacher ratio. It talked about extracurricular and club activities and seemed more focused on the individual student, him or herself. In area relative, he was in the next concentric circle of information, looking at sources that are somehow connected to his target. So one of the types of pieces of research that he did then was he checked U.S. News and World Report for information about the two universities there, and he saw that the two medical schools were much more closely ranked than he might have expected. You'd expect John, John Hopkins to be Stanford. right at the top, of course. Absolutely, but he really didn't know anything about Pitt. He came in just knowing the reputation of Hopkins, which so many of us, that's really how we operate, is based on that default, that judgment. Sure, and they're trading off their network, exactly. Exactly. That's right. And then he also went on to College Confidential to see what students had to say about the two universities and rate my professors so he could look up the professors who taught the pre-med requirements because he knew he wanted to go to medical school. In area exploration, he contacted the pre-med guidance office at both of the schools. He also contacted students who had already done undergraduate research. Was it easy to get those opportunities? Did it seem to be a fulfilling opportunity? He talked to students who had taken classes with the professors who provided the pre-med courses. And what he really began to learn at that point, once he got beyond the documents, is that the pre-med advising office really became important. Only a small percentage of the students are able to get through the rigorous demand of the pre-med courses. And people at Hopkins kept saying, and of course this was just a snapshot, a moment in time, kept saying that the office for pre-med advising was just swamped at Hopkins. They just couldn't get access, whereas there was a very organized... Well, of course, the Hopkins officials didn't say this, but the students did, and he was able to get to the students. So really, uh, the, uh, the the core of the area method, it seems, is get as much information independently as you can. No, it's not about getting as much information. It actually inverts decision-making. It basically says instead of thinking about the high-stakes problem that, you're fo- that you are thinking about because staring down a thorny problem is really uncomfortable for many people, invert that and instead ask yourself what I think is a far more empowering question, which is what constitutes success to you personally? Most people can answer that, and then once they've identified that success, They then are telling the story of it, and they can hone in on what I call their critical concepts, which are the one, two, or three things that really matter to them in the outcome, and then deeply and creatively investigate those. So you are continually working on refining and reaching what you understand to be your picture of success. 
In area exploitation, he did some of these exercises that I talk about. And what he realized there was that he wasn't actually solving for which college to go to. Instead, he actually was solving for which college will help me get through the pre-med requirements so that I can get to medical school. It's a fundamentally different question. And so ultimately, by the time he got to area analysis, he began thinking about how would he make sure if he went to Pitt, which seemed to have the far more accessible and successful pre-med advising office, how might he think about how that decision still might not work for him and what signpost could he set up that would show him that maybe the decision was going awry and then how could he set up safeguards to make sure that the decision didn't fail that way. And so ultimately he chose Pitt. By the way, the regular host of this show, the creator, Rick Franzi, is a Pitt Panther, so he'll be thrilled to hear this endorsement of Pittsburgh. Oh, that's great. Although I don't believe he was pre-med. Likely business school. Real quick, uh, if you would, uh, give us your your own guiding principle in your life, in your work. What What would you say is your guiding principle? So, look, I think this idea of perspective taking, which is the heart of what the area method is, is incredibly powerful because it gives you this two for one, this ability to walk in somebody else's shoes, to better understand why they think and feel the way that they do and what drives them, their incentives. And then it mirrors back on us. How do we think and feel so we can bubble up those mental shortcuts that I was talking about? And when you're using perspective taking, it means that you are showing up as a much more active listener. You're building your mindfulness, you're checking your ego, and you're trying to solve your problems with greater empathy. And I think that's what good decision-making does for us, right? It not only can help us be more relational with other people, but it can help us lead more meaningful lives. Serve others. I think I've heard that a few times. Uh, The author's name is Cheryl Einhorn, and the latest book is Problem Solved. She's also a professor both at Columbia University, in both still, in both the School of Journalism and Business School, Cheryl? Uh, yes, I'm at both places, primarily at the business school these days. So you get, you get some things done. Thank you very much for uh, joining us, and please, where can folks uh, get the book, the, uh, Problem Solved? They can, buy the, they can buy the book Problem Solved at any bookstore or on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, and I hope you'll visit my website, area method, A-R-E-A method.com, and learn more about me and the book. Thank you so much for having me. You, you bet. Uh, Cheryl jo- joining us, I believe, from New York. Critical Mass Radio Show is what you've been listening to, and you've been listening to it on octalkradio.net. And you can find a copy of that conversation uh, at the usual places, iTunes, Stitcher. You can also get it at the website of OC Talk Radio or Critical Mass for Business. I'm Pete Weitzner. I appreciate your listening today. Rick Franzi back again next week. Everybody have a great rest of their Tuesday. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.